0: Hey, before we begin, a quick reminder that today's episode is made possible in part by the Todd and Stephanie Schnick Foundation. Find us at schnickfoundation.org. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Let's go, y'all.
1: You are listening to The Foundation Podcast. Our goals are to help you build the foundation to live your best life, help solve problems, better serve humanity, and to become a beacon to help inspire change. We connect you with today's leaders, affecting positive and impactful global change. And now, here are your hosts, Todd and Stephanie Schnick. All right. Good morning, and welcome back to the Foundation Podcast. I am your host Todd Schnick, joined by my co-host and friend Stephanie Schnick. Uh, the your friend. friend. <laughs> I didn't want to say you're my wife that kind of you know that's just kind of weird I never knows it, that you're my boss so I you know I, anyway this is gonna be a great conversation I think it was my Aunt Peg that alerted us that Maria Shriver was gonna be on the today show talking about Alzheimer's and those of us who have listened to our other podcasts know that my mother's late stage Alzheimer's and we watched that that broadcast and learned about women's Alzheimer's movement and uh, immediately were enthralled with their work we launched a campaign to raise some cash for them in honor of your grandmother who passed from Alzheimer's and my mother. And we said, we got to do what we can do to uh, make the, the world aware of this uh, great organization. And that is why we have Erin Mulcahy-Stein. She's the executive director of the Women's Alzheimer's Movement on today's show. Erin, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Uh, the pleasure is ours. We're so grateful that you made the time to join us. I know you are awfully busy these days with a lot going on a big uh, groundbreaking just uh, not too long ago that uh, we want to talk about. So exciting times. So appreciate you carving out a few minutes for us. Before we get into our, our conversation around WAM, uh, t- take a few quick seconds. To tell us a bit about you and your background.
2: Okay. Well, before I start and say that, I just want to say to you and Stephanie that I'm so proud of the work that we've done, but it doesn't mean anything unless we talk to people like you who have been touched so personally and are being touched so personally by the disease with your mother and grandmother, and my heart goes out to you for you know what you're going through and what you have to go through. but hopefully just these kinds of conversations can make all of that just a little easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a lawyer by training. After about 10 or 12 years of doing business litigation, I decided it was time to do something that was perhaps more meaningful. Right at that time, I have a very good friend, Maria Shriver, who was becoming the First Lady of California at the time. And she said, let's do this together because one of the responsibilities of First Lady is to run this big women's conference. And neither one of us had even been to a women's conference, let alone know what to do with it. So we started that. And in that, for those seven years in talking to and about women and programming a conference for women, we learned a lot about the impact of caregiving and taking care of one's parents and how women were balancing that with all of their other responsibilities. So kind of through that process of those seven years and really zeroing in on that coincided with Maria's father being diagnosed with Alzheimer's and there's sort of, you know, an increased interest in what this disease is and and, uh, is about. We sort of decided it was time when 2011 came around and Maria was no longer first lady that we would focus our efforts, all of our efforts on this issue. So we launched a report Maria sort of tapped into her journalism and decided it was time to really investigate this disease of the personal standpoint and determined that... So in 2010, it was sort of the first time that it was reported publicly that Alzheimer's was really, in fact, a woman's disease because more women than men suffered from the disease and more women than men were caregivers. So 2010, 2011 was really the beginning
0: of this deep, deep focus on women and Alzheimer's. Aaron, tell us about the mission and the purpose of the Women's Alzheimer's Movement.
2: The purpose of the Women's Alzheimer's Movement is to really focus on the question of why two out of three brains that have Alzheimer's belong to women. And we've noticed and learned through our research and reporting that there's really a gap in knowledge about women and women's health in general, but particularly in why women are impacted by these neurocognitive diseases. More so than men. So, really, the focus is on women. Clearly, we're looking for treatments, cures that impact and help everybody, right? But our sort of avenue into the disease is through women. We think it's sort of a, a multi level problem. Scientists don't really know why Alzheimer's disproportionately affects women. There's been a lot of great research, and there's a lot of great research in the pipeline. So, we're, we are finding out a lot more about it, but we don't know for sure. The other thing is that women don't really know that they're at increased risk for Alzheimer's and they don't know how to reduce their risk. They're not taking, because they're not aware of that, they're not paying attention to the fact that research is showing that there are lifestyle and interventions that you can you know, avail yourself of and hopefully change the trajectory of the disease. The other problem that we're addressing is that physicians don't talk to their women patients about Alzheimer's in general. And oftentimes it's not until you're showing Signs of, and the disease is actually, you know, is upon you before you really start talking to a neurologist or anybody about it. So that's another issue. And then, of course, the one that sort of wraps it all up is the how unprepared families are when a disease becomes a part of their of their journey. So the Women's Alzheimer's Movement is really meant to fund research into the sex and gender differences in Alzheimer's. So we fund research. And we do that through a variety of activities, some of which, you know, through the summit and Move for Minds events that we have done. And then also, we really are focused on educating women and informing them about what they can do to perhaps you know, delay onset to reduce the risks. And then the other thing that we do is advocate. We really talk about Alzheimer's, what it is and isn't, what people need to know, what leaders and decision makers and policymakers in our state and across the country can do to help prepare families.
1: Well, we could talk for hours about the research side of this, and maybe there's one significant project that is worth talking about. But in terms of the educational side of your work and the advocacy side of your work, I feel like it's almost two-pronged, that there's the prevention side. So educating people on what they can, you actually can take steps to prevent or certainly lessen the impacts of, of Alzheimer's. But the other part of your work, too, is educating the, the caregivers. Right. And that's where a, a lot of our focus is with our foundation, is, is educating these caregivers because their life changes, too, right? So talk about those, th- that two-pronged educational and, and advocacy approach.
2: Okay, so with, here's the, what we're finding, what we found through our research and polling and surveys that we do, is that for the most part, people become caregivers, and they're not prepared for it. They don't see it coming. You know, We we raise our kids to think that they're going to go on and have a a life and they're not going to have to take care of us, right? Well, that's, that's not happening. So we realize that a lot of, we have to start very, very early on. First of all, we're not educating caregivers. A caregiver knows their journey better than anyone does. But what we're trying to do is provide information early on so that they're aware of a few different things. One, what to be looking out for in their loved one that they're taking care of. And then also what to do for themselves because there's, you know, as I'm sure you know, caregiver burnout and serious health injuries or health um, issues that caregivers have. They're usually loving, kind, giving people who are watching out for themselves secondary to everybody else. And so we really want, um, and that doesn't help anybody, right? It doesn't help the, the person that you're caring for. It certainly doesn't help yourself and others in your family. So we really want caregivers to be aware of what services are out there, support services are out there that can help them and just be a voice for them to listen to. And also for us, we have a platform for them to share their stories. If that's, you know, empowering to them to like get somebody else to hear what they're going through and hear what someone else is going through.
0: That is so critically important. I belong to a handful of private Facebook groups that focus on caregiving and dementia. And the stories that I read and the things that families go through, and it's just staggering. And, and so many of the caregivers themselves wind up, like you said, sick or injured or even predecease the person that they're caregiving for. The people that Todd and I are, or our foundation is focusing on, we're fortunate enough that, that Todd's mother is in a wonderful memory care community near us. So we don't have, we're not the day-to-day caregivers. We get to be her kids. And so many families, unfortunately, don't have that option, and they struggle, and they may have a full-time job, they may have kids, a spouse, and I can't even imagine how these families do it. The other issue that comes up a lot, I'm not sure how much or if you guys are providing information on this front, but I read story after story about families that have not prepared legally and financially for these situations, and then they wind up in a real bind, do you have resources that you're connecting to, or anything along those lines? Well, you've you've hit on something that's just it's heartbreaking to hear families
2: who have lost everything as a result of having to you know spend every savings they ever had or thought they'd have on caring for their loved one with with dementia or Alzheimer's. And in fact, it's an issue that's that's sort of plaguing the state of California as well as seems to be every other state in the country. So what, what we're doing is we're working first, we're in California. So we're working with the government in California to come up with a plan for how to sort of prevent and prepare for, for Alzheimer's. And a lot of that has to do with everything from you know improving training for caregivers to looking for different kinds of incentives for people to go into the caregiving industry. So that the people that are in the families have loved ones, they're able to maybe keep their job because what we've seen is a lot of families have to they have to reduce their hours or sometimes quit their job to be able to care for a loved one with Alzheimer's, and then everything changes. There, there uh, a lot of people are you know going into poverty as a result of it. A lot of people are bankrupt, personally bankrupt as a result of it. So we've seen horror stories and but we do see a lot of I think a real engagement not just interest but an engagement in coming up with policies that will help people in these situations. So and then a lot of the like financial institutions we're seeing that they really are doing a lot of social community engagement around these issues and helping people sort of understand what the financial impact of a diagnosis of Alzheimer's is. And making sure that when they create a care plan for their families, that it's not just the medical piece of it, but also the financial piece as well.
1: Well, we're just so grateful for the educational advocacy work that you do. And I was shaking my head when you were talking about the fact that still most people don't realize that two out of three victims of this are females. My mother was diagnosed in 2014. So this issue has been at the forefront of my life for six, seven years, and only recently did I even understand that. So but there's still a lot to learn out there. You know, we mentioned Maria Shriver at the top of the show, and she's founder of the Women's Alzheimer's Movement. Uh, I don't get the idea that she's just got her name on the letterhead and signs a few fundraising letters. I think based on the fact that we were part of that summit, she is knee-deep engaged in this thing. Talk about her role in this and kind of what her vision is and where this is going.
2: Well, yes, you're right. Maria is heavily vested in the Alzheimer's movement. And she comes from a a family of service, comes from a family of, of doers, aggressively and proactively looking at an issue and not waiting for someone else to fix it, but to really come up with solutions and to encourage through everything from sort of inspirational content to going to Congress and testifying about it and everything in between. And so Maria is very, very much involved in the operations of the Women's Alzheimer's Movement. She's a very creative thinker. So we do things that are not necessarily the same as what other organizations are doing, where we think of ourselves as disruptors a little bit and being innovative and maybe a little more aggressive in the way that we talk, or maybe sometimes provocative in the way that we talk. We can't just wait for someone else to help and she definitely thinks in those terms. So yeah, so Maria has used her journalism to raise awareness about the disease. She's talked about it every single day and I don't think the women's Alzheimer's movement would certainly not be the same without her and I don't think
0: that the conversation about Alzheimer's right now in this country would be the same without her. I agree with that. Let's talk about the Prevention Center in partnership with the Cleveland Clinic that opened in June in Las Vegas. Tell us about that.
2: The Women's Alzheimer's Movement Prevention Center at Cleveland Clinic is a partnership. So we're the Women's Alzheimer's Movement, and we will use the word WAM to shorten. It's sort of our acronym. So the WAM Prevention Center at Cleveland Clinic is really the first of its kind in the country. It's a center that we established. We, WAM, and Maria Shriver in partnership with the Lou Ruvo Center for Brain Health at the Cleveland Clinic in Las Vegas. And it's really an opportunity for people, women, to have a clinical experience where it's really just about them and their cognitive health. What we've learned through our work, through the research that we've funded, and of course, other research around the country, is that there are a lot of reasons for why someone might feel like they have a cognitive issue, Alzheimer's or something else. And oftentimes, as we said before, they don't know until sometimes it's too late. So the Women's Alzheimer's Movement Prevention Center is an opportunity for people to say, well, I think I'm at increased risk because somebody in my family had it. I don't feel like I have any issues that I'm worried about, but I want to go and start the process of learning about my cognitive health. And that's what you can do at the prevention
1: center well that's amazing. That's amazing. how does that work? so do you just call make a reservation and say i'm sixty one years old and here's my checklist of my health issues and my situation and you guys do an an analysis do you do a oh yeah, oh, yeah. What's the process um, it's it's intriguing
2: yes, yeah. so you can go on womenpreventalls.org dot org and make an appointment now I will say that There's already a waiting list, but hopefully we'll work that out because what we've seen was just an enormous demand, more so than we ever thought, imagined. And so you make an appointment, you do some of the cognitive testing is digital. And at some point you will go in in person, have a physician that's designated for you, give all your blood work. They'll do genetic testing if you don't already have it done. Look at all of your health history your current lifestyle, your family background, all of the information that they can get about you will help to figure out what a good individualized care plan is for you. So it's very, very individualized and as close to being sort of precision medicine as we can do now.
1: Well, I wish you were around. In the early aughts, uh, when uh, yes. my mother could have benefited from some of those services, you know, and I actually misspoke earlier. I said there was a groundbreaking, but it actually was the grand opening of that center. And also, in case you missed it, partnered with the Cleveland Clinic. So I mean, talk about a, an amazing partner to have in this project. Do I get the impression this is the first of many future centers? Is is that the long term play with these bricks and mortar centers?
2: That is definitely the plan, and. This is the first one we hope that it will be a model for others. But depending on the institution that you partner with, the clinic would look a little different. In addition to bricks and mortars clinics, there's also this idea of digital or something through telemedicine doing something that's much more scalable. So we sort of are looking at both because what we do know is there's a need and a demand. And it's not really just us, you know, the women's outsized movement coming in and saying we need this. No matter who we talk to, whichever institutions we talk to, they know that their patient base needs needs this.
1: I'm hoping it inspires others to found similar like minded centers. You know, it doesn't always have to be you guys doing this. I hope other Absolutely. people step up and and take a leadership role here too. Yeah, right.
2: Yes, we're very collaborative, and so we're looking to collaborate with others on developing these kinds of prevention centers. We want to help get the information about prevention out as broadly as we can, but we know that we have to do more than just provide information. Engagement in the lifestyle and interventions is really important. One of our research grantees uh, and very close collaborators, he's on the Women's Alzheimer's Movement Scientific Advisory Council, Richard Isaacson from Weill Cornell in New York. He has a prevention center at Weill Cornell. It's not specifically focused on women. It's for you know, anybody who has increased risk for Alzheimer's. And so he's also working with us to create and help to create consortiums of prevention centers across the
0: country. That's exciting. We have some, as you probably know, some really wonderful research hospitals here in Chicago, and I would love to see something like that here. We would love to be working. Um, well, maybe that's something we can work on. Yes, for sure.
1: I'd that like would be that. an intriguing project. All right. Well, we'll have to talk offline about that. Yeah. We've been mentioning uh, all of your educational and all of your advocacy work. I wonder if you could get a little bit more specific on the types of ways that you deliver that. Uh, I'm, I'll mention and ask you to speak about one. I imagine there'll be many others, uh, but we just recently had the summit and that was an hour long uh, blast of some amazing information with some very intriguing leaders uh, that shared some knowledge with us, go a little deeper on those kinds of uh, uh, productions?
2: So we realize that if we're going to get the information to people, we need to meet people where they are. So we leverage every platform we can. And what we have realized during COVID is that webcasts and digital summits are the things that people actually will sit and watch and take advantage of. Whereas prior to this, we did a lot, we WHAM did a lot of live events where we would convene speakers with a variety of audiences across the country. And live information is very impactful, but we were pleasantly surprised that we had over 2,200 people that watched a one-hour summit where we had Maria and Paula Zahn. We always have professional journalists, typically, interviewing experts. So we will have Maria interviewing two or three neuroscientists or caregivers or people in the caregiving space to talk about the real issues that are involved in that. We also will always have somebody who's personally impacted with the disease speak from a first person standpoint. So in the case of the summit that you saw, we had Donna Rand speak. She was the wife of the founder of AARP or the, the, the CEO, the prior CEO of AARP. Who succumbed to Alzheimer's. And she talked from a very, very personal standpoint about that, as well as Cynthia Hewling Hovell, who is a pastor who has Alzheimer's now. And to, you know, really let people know what it really means to live with the disease, both as the person with it and the person caring for them, because that really puts everything else in context, right? So we really will try to meet people where they are. We also have a lot of social media that we use. We don't just use our social media to promote our organization. We really use it to educate. Once a week, we have a sleep tip. Why? Because research shows that sleep has a deep connection to Alzheimer's. So we want people to be sleeping seven to eight hours a night. And if they're not, that has to be your priority. The other thing that we do is ensure that we provide content about exercise, tips about exercise. Why? Because exercise is so important to your brain health. The same thing goes with stress reduction. So every Monday, we provide a meditation because we want people to, who think they've, you know, who've never meditated and think they can't to feel that, yes, it is something that you can do. Why? Because it's so important to reduce stress if that's what your issue is. There's a lot of great and exciting research going on right now to show the causal connection between stress and Alzheimer's and the importance of availing yourself of tools like meditation to reduce that. So, you asked about the summit. The summit is something that we will continue doing. We're going to do another one in October and another one in January. And we'll be sure to let everybody who's listening know how they can take advantage of that. And in addition, we hope to be doing live events again around the country, where we bring together experts in all of these related fields together with regular people who can learn about brain health, what Alzheimer's is and isn't, what it means to be a caregiver, why it's important to rid this country of the stigma that we see around Alzheimer's, especially in communities of color that have increased risk for the disease, yet they also have more stigma attached to the disease. So we've got to get rid of that we've got to you know, change the conversation and talk about it openly so that people aren't afraid to talk about it. Because if you're afraid to talk about it, the worst thing happens. Too much time passes and then you're getting a late diagnosis. And if you get a late diagnosis, you are missing out on all of the things that you
0: might be able to take advantage of
2: earlier on.
0: I think denial is a big, big problem. And I know that that prevented... Todd's mother from being diagnosed
1: years earlier. earlier Yes. I yeah. And I know, I, mean, I know dozens of other people who uh, we all know yes. have the potential for this and, and they're not taking any action and it's, right. and it's just so frustrating. So that's one of the reasons, frankly, why we have you on the show today and why we intend to, Continue to collaborate with you, so we can use these tools as as more educational, direct, targeted uh, messaging to some of these folks. So, and I really loved on the summit how you kicked it off with the meditation. I meditate yeah. every day, and and there's already scientific proof that it reduces blood pressure. And we're learning every day more and more benefits of that simple exercise. And now, yeah. uh, talk about a stigma that freaks out a lot of people meditation. and They think they have to listen to Yanni and hold their hands and <laughs> and you know, have incense going. But no, it's it's so much simpler than that. So. The other thing that we were proud of and why we're even more proud of uh, of now uh, having, being in the midst of a campaign to raise some resources for WAM is that you you are 100% supported by philanthropy. So talk about that. Talk about uh, the types of programs that you have going on and inform people how they can get involved and help support uh, this important project.
2: Thank you. Yes, we are um, a public charity. We're supported 100% by donations. In some cases, we get corporate support for some of these events that we do, sponsorship. We do digital campaigns, fundraising campaigns all the time, hoping that people who can give $5 will do that. We really value every dollar that's received, and we provide the same content no matter who you are, no matter how much you've given. You are a very, very important part of this movement. We really are... Trying to live up to our name, which is to be a movement of everyday people, Main Street meets Wall Street and everybody in between. We want to be a resource, a tool, a service for everybody who's faced with or thinks they might be faced with the disease. In fact, we always say if you have a brain, you're part of the movement. And we know if you're listening, you do. And if you want to protect it and you don't want to ever have Alzheimer's be a part of your journey, the women's Alzheimer's movement is for you. And if Alzheimer's is a big part of your journey now, or it was, like in your case, Stephanie, the women's Alzheimer's movement is for you too. And so I would say that we rely on the philanthropy of people. We've been very, very blessed during this period of COVID when we, like many um, nonprofit organizations, were scrambling, we're struggling. All of us who rely on being able to do live events for a big part of our fundraising, were worried. But like everybody else, we've pivoted and we've been very, very blessed with the generosity of donors and we hope that that continues. The both of you have been, uh, it was so exciting to get the, the note from you that you sort of discovered us organically, which we love and wanted to you know, sort of take action to help support. And I think it's what people want. People don't want to just listen or sit back. They want to be engaged and they want to do something. And really being able to do an, a little event yourself, a campaign yourself, do a hike and have, you know, your 10 friends give you $15 and together you make a donation to the women's Alzheimer's movement. Those are really, really impactful, important engagements. And they're really a great way to feel, you know, like you're making a difference because you are when you do it.
1: And with that hike, you're getting your exercise too, which is, That's right. <laughs> we now know, important part of this process. All right, well Aaron, we're running low on time. Gosh, there's so much more to talk about uh, and as we've hinted over the course of this conversation, there's a lot of potential, really intriguing collaborative opportunities that we're going to explore with you. But for now, in closing, should anyone need to connect with you, learn more about the Women's Alzheimer's Movement, particularly how to get financially involved, uh, where do they go? They
2: go to womensalzheimersmovement.org. Womensalzheimersmovement.org. It's a mouthful, but once you say it, it'll come easily.
1: Well, and I'll just put out a a plug for the Instagram page because a lot of those little daily tips that she was talking about are are really presented well there. So that's a great place to get some of that education. All right, Erin Mulcahy-Stein, the Executive Director of the Women's Alzheimer's Movement. Erin, it was a great pleasure to have you. Thanks so much for making the time to join us today.
2: Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
1: That wraps today's conversation uh, on behalf of our guest, Aaron Stein, my wife, Stephanie Schnick. I am Todd Schnick. Thanks for listening to the Foundation Podcast, and we we'll look forward to seeing you again very, very soon. The Foundation Podcast is produced by Intrepid Media and is made possible in part by the Todd and Stephanie Schnick Foundation. Learn more by visiting schnickfoundation.org. And thank you for listening. Now, get out there and do some good, and we'll see you next time.